Hi, I'm John Byrne with Poets and Ponds. Welcome to our third edition of The Essentials of Coaching. I'm here at the Kelly School of Business at Indiana University with Ray Luther and Eric Johnson. Ray is the Executive Director for the Center for Coaching Excellence and Personal Leadership, and Eric is the Executive Director for Graduate Career Services. Welcome. Thank you, John. Thanks, John. So we, we really want to talk about what the case studies are. What are real-life examples where coaches have made a difference in a person's professional life? So maybe we should get into this by just talking a little bit about the process. Bring me through a real-life example of how you might have guided a professional to you know, a better result of one kind or another. Sure. How about I start with just a high-level overview of the process Perfect. in general and then Perfect. kind of go through. So for us, we, we do follow a fairly standardized process that we source from the Hudson Institute. And if we use, if, if there are assessments involved, we might use a personality assessment or a 360 assessment. There's a variety of different assessments, but we tend to do that up front to just get a baseline. That baseline is just important to give us a little bit more data. The real coaching work starts when we actually say, okay, what is the contractual issue they're going to work with the individual and this isn't a contract that we're signing this is just literally between two individuals what is the issue at hand what is the thing that the person wants to work that might take a meeting or two to get at because it often involves often the person thinks they might have a surface level level issue and a skilled coach can work with them to try to push and prod around that issue and understand, is that really the heart of the matter? What are we talking about? Once we have that contracted issue, that's step one. Now we know what we're going to work on. Step two is, what's the current state and what's a desired future state, right? So we've got this issue we want to work. What looks like success to the person? Can they even create that vision? If they can't create the vision, how does the coach support them to help them see what the potential could be? If they have a current state, do they have a good sense of where they are on this particular issue and how they would get there. Those first two steps are critical because that sets up the entire coaching meeting or coaching relationship where it's not just about a conversation, it's about a focused event that it leads to accountability and metrics that can say we're making measured improvement. After we get the contracted issue and then we start to understand where's the desired future state and where we're starting from, then it becomes about the action plan and working on small steps to actually get there. Typical coaching relationships that we work are, you know, six months for some of our private clients outside, or we work with students that could be up to two years. And as we're working those action plans, a variety of things come up, right? Any number of things can be revealed as the coachee is practicing or might come into light or discovered as the person starts to move down this path. But we're trying to work towards that desired future state. And as we wrap up a coaching session, we start to look at what's been achieved, right? Have we actually made that progress either qualitatively or quantitatively on what the person wanted to achieve? And then how do we enable that person going forward right. after the coaching relationship? If it doesn't continue, we still want those people to be successful, obviously. How can they start to do this work on their own or transition to their next coach or mentor? Yeah, I, so I've got a good example. I've got a client who's a young leader at a, at a startup and she's in a head of creative role. And as we started our conversations early on, much like Ray described, our first conversation and a half were really about what is she hoping to get out of this relationship? And it started with a fairly broad topic. It was, I want to be a more effective leader. And we worked on that a little and became, well, I really wanna be better able to identify a leadership style I'm comfortable with and 
create a, a culture on my team that's fun but productive and I'm still working through how I want to do that. So that's really where we began and it came down to some specific situations that we identified that we could work through. And one of the ones initially that she struggled with was actually based on her personality assessment. And what we learned early is that she was concerned more about being liked by her team than she was about being respected, which is not an unusual thing for a young manager, especially when their team is about the same age as her and there's a culture within the company to hang out after work. And so that began the issue that we initially started with is how do you begin to establish boundaries and how do you hold people accountable and how do you give difficult feedback when the time comes for it? And it certainly would have been easy for me with a management career to tell her how to do those things, but as her coach and per our agreement, it was my job to ask her how she wanted to handle these and find approaches that she was willing to commit to and that would work for her, get her to commit to trying those and then coming back and reporting to me about how it was going. And that was, honestly, it was a, it's been a lot of fun. We've been working together for about four months and she has admitted and I have noticed how much growth she's had. She is still liked by her team. But they also respect her a lot more now than they used to. And I think the most important thing that I'm proud of is she respects herself as a leader. And so that's been a lot of fun. But it's been a series of these individual situations, which is allowing us to accomplish her bigger goal. And Ray, do you have an example? Yeah, I, uh, I worked with a, a B-level executive at a, a pretty high-profile nonprofit out of New York City. And that executive was a, a phenomenal manager. She was well-respected, considered a highly developmental candidate, but had a scope of responsibility in her job that was overwhelming and would have been overwhelming to anybody in that scenario. So as we started to work together, the contractual issue became, how do I find more time, right? I just don't have enough time in the day. I can't, I can't decide these things. And that's a, that's, a, that's a very common issue that we work on. And, and as a coach, you start to think, okay, how do we, how do we start to unpack does this person even understand what's taking up their time? Is what's taking up their time where they want to prioritize? Are they managing their calendar or is their calendar managing them? That's all advice I could have given, but that advice was stuff she knew. She's, she's not stupid, right? She reads books, she reads articles, she had, but for some reason it wasn't happening. So as we started to deconstruct, what was the root of it, right? There was a bit of maybe there wasn't as much team trust and delegating downward as there could have been. And how did she start to work on that to demonstrate more of that? There was a lot more, what did she truly have agency over and what could she make a choice to work on and a choice not to work on? Mm. And how did she negotiate that with a CEO who was a phenomenal visionary but could be quite demanding? Right? And how did we have those kind of conversations? So the coaching process became, how did we actually help her find the space to lead that she needed to actually be successful? And that required her to not just address the time management, was this, which was the surface issue, but address a lot of underlying issues related to trust, conflict communication, the ability to be liked versus respected. And as we ended the relationship, she had completely adjusted how she approached her workload. And last time I checked in with her was last month and she's doing, doing very, very well. Now here's what's interesting. The two examples you both come up with are with women. It makes me almost think that women are just naturally more introspective and, and open to coaching than maybe men are. Is that just me thinking that? or And it's a coincidence that the first two examples that came to light are with uh, female clients, or am I wrong here? I think that would 
probably be a coincidence. I think both of us have a number of male clients. I'm working with one right now who's a C-level executive at a big insurance firm. And I've actually found him to be a deeply introspective person. And in fact, that is the contractual thing that we're working on because he's a an introvert who's really in a position where he needs to establish more executive presence. And that became the thing that we're working on with him. And I, and his ability to be reflective is his strength and also his weakness because he spends a lot of time alone and a lot of time thinking. And so what we've really tried to work on with him is how do I find the moments to speak up in meetings where I can make my thoughts not just known but have impact? And how do I literally physically be more present for my team, but then also show them that the ways that I care about them such that I internalize it uh, comes out more externally so that they feel that too and that it has a great culture for them. So I, my experience probably is it was coincidence and I've had very good experiences with men as clients. I, I would agree. I, I, uh, I enjoy coaching women, men, leaders, young, old. I think it's coincidence as well. I have a, a young man who's the chief marketing officer of a quality startup, and they are going through a rapid pace of change. And he's got a very demanding role. And frankly, he he has a level of introspection that I, as a coach, think, wow, I may need to help him see this. And he'll blurt it out. He, he sees it. His The challenge we work on is, in seeing it, what does he choose to do once he sees it? Right. Because sometimes that choice is overwhelmed by the pressure of the moment. Right. And so I don't know if I would say that women or men are more reflective. I think it depends on the individual, the context, the scenario, their their level of adult development. But as a coach, I think we both would argue we have to be very cognizant of where they are in the adult development spectrum, what is that level of reflection, and what's our work in helping them reflect, or what's our work in helping them notice what they already notice, yeah. right? Which a lot of times people have more power or ability to do than they let on. Yeah. Yep. And these are four great examples, but now how, how often should someone speak to a coach, and how long should the relationship with the coach last? My typical engagement is twice a month for about 45 minutes to an hour a piece. And we start with about six months after the initial period of making sure this relationship is gonna work. And this occurs largely on the phone? Yeah, largely on the phone. Okay. I, I think in-person is nice, but absolutely not necessary. I think any format of communication that works, phone, Skype, Zoom, Zoom in-person, they can all be meaningful relationships as long as it happens in real time. Uh, some some of the contracts have extended beyond that to 12 months, 18 months. I've got some clients I've been working with for three years. I think it's really how it, where are we at in the relationship, where are you at in your career? Are you seeing the progress you wanted? I, I don't I don't think there's any real requirement that it be a certain length in time to be effective. No, I think it relates to the issue at hand and what's the contracted issue. If we can get to a point, if we get to a point where if there's a valued relationship and it wants to continue, we just need to make sure that we're working on something that we're not just beating a dead horse. We're working on something that's going to be productive and right. new for the person. So lots of folks do want to extend the relationship. I've coached somebody ongoing for two, two and a half years. And in that relationship, we always are working on what's that thing we're working on right now, right? And even when it's that thing we're working on right now, there might be a meeting that is just completely off track. And that's okay because that person is dealing with a specific scenario that a coach can help with them at that moment. So it, it, it varies, but I think as long as there is known progress on both sides being made in a way that both sides feel 
you know, is useful, then I think that's pretty important. I, I don't have anybody I've met with once a week. Have you ever had? No, I, I would say three. typically it's, you know, on a formal coach relationship, it's twice a month, sometimes once every three weeks, once yeah. every four. Depends on the pace. If somebody's right. taking on a big challenge, yep. I have some physician clients I work with through our business of medicine program, and I meet with them once a month. And a lot of the challenges they're dealing with in leading some of these hospital changes that, you know, every other week is too frequent. They're, yeah. they're not able to drive some of the things they need to drive. So it really depends on the client and the context. Okay, biggest challenge you've ever helped someone with, what would they be, Eric? I think the executive I was just talking about at the insurance firm, his, he... And that's a common problem, right? It, it is a common yeah. problem. I mean, he is in an extremely important position at a, at a time, I mean, he's the CIO at a time when they're going through some massive changes in the way that technology influences their organization. And he is absolutely in a position where he has to be the most credible person in the room in almost every meeting that he has. And he was not there when we started. And, and for him to achieve anything he wants to achieve, he's had to elevate that. I would say that is my biggest accomplishment and challenge so far. And right. I would say working with a, another B-level client and this particular scenario, the person was a phenomenal contributor to where they were promoted to and then got promoted way ahead of their skis and had a complete mm. crisis of confidence. And so I had an unbelievably talented individual who could well deliver the role they were promoted into but had no confidence that they could do it and frankly didn't have anyone internally that they could talk to this about because it would have been a sign of weakness and it would have hurt them at the level they were trying to play at. So we worked on confidence and, and frankly, it, it was a seven, it's a seven month relationship, eight month relationship. At the beginning, the person was in such a fight or flight that every coaching engagement was really this heightened sense of protection for the person. Wow. Helping them notice and understand that was important to lay the foundation for personality. And honestly, my role as coach in that meeting was not only to help her notice, but to actually serve as somebody who could point out where she had a right to be confident in her abilities. And that was important, right? Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's, a, that's the art of coaching. There, the, the, you have to be in it for the benefit of the client. And sometimes the benefit of the client is getting them to a point where they can stabilize on the scenario they're dealing with and then accelerate. Right. And, and the level of confidence has completely changed, all based on the work that she did, right? That I just helped facilitate through a process. Great. Ray and Eric, thanks again. And for all you out there, join us for our continuing series on the essentials of coaching. Next time, we're going to tackle those career and aptitude tests. Which are most helpful, and how does a coach use them? Eric and Ray, thanks. Thank you, thanks, John. John.